This afternoon, for a few minutes, I'd like to talk to you about the topic of involvement versus commitment. When it comes to breakfast, the chicken is involved, but the pig is committed. The chicken gives of the egg, and it gets able to go about its, its day another day. But the egg, when he participates in breakfast, he gives it all. And there's nothing more miraculous, I think, in God's creation than the pig, something that you can feed fruit and it gives you back bacon. It's a, a magical creature that God has made. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Are you involved today? Are you involved in this congregation? Are you one that comes, attends the services, sings along in the songs, bows your head when you pray, that partakes of the Lord's Supper when it's passed by, puts an offering plate when it comes? Are you committed here? Are you committed? Do you put yourself into all that you do here in your worship service? Do you do that when you go home? Do you commit your families to the Lord? Or are you just involved? Do you let the Bible on the nightstand get dusty? Or are you folding those pages and turn those pages in your everyday life? Are you, are you involved? Are you, are you ready to preach Jesus? Uh, you know who Jesus is? Are you ready to preach him? Are you ready to evangelize and commit your life to spreading his gospel and fulfilling the Great Commission? And I think that's something we all have to look at in our lives. Joshua chapter 24, verse 13, And I have given you a land and for which you did not labor, and cities which you built, and you, uh, and you dwell in them. Of the vineyards and olive yards which you planted not, do you, uh, not, not do you eat. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve you the Lord. The Lord is asking us to serve him in sincerity and in truth. And both of those things have to be present. You know, there's a lot of people in this world that they serve God. They want to serve him wholeheartedly with sincerity, sincerity, but they do that without truth. That's no good. You can have your heart in it, you can believe in it, all of you want, but if you don't have truth, it's no good. God doesn't want it. And on the flip side of that, you can serve him in truth, and you can check all the boxes and dot all the I's and cross all the T's and do everything that he's told you to do that, but if you don't do it with a good heart, if you don't do it sincerely, that's no good either. We're taught, we've been called to serve God with sincerity, with all our heart, and with truth, exactly how he's told us to do it, sincerity and in truth, to make the commitment to it, not to be involved, to not be like the chicken, not just kind of be in and be out, but he wants us like that pig. He wants us committed. He wants us to give it all over to him, sincerity and in truth. Luke chapter 9, verse 57, it came to pass that as they went on the way, a certain man said to him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Lord, I want to follow you, but I've got this thing. I've got this other thing that I've got to do. You know, oftentimes at this, uh, this time of history, you know, when you went to go and bury your father, that not just didn't mean that we were going to put him in the ground, but uh, well, I was going to go bury my father and collect part of my inheritance. That's when inheritance was going to be doled out. So I've got to be there to get part of mine, what's coming to me. He said, Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury the dead. But do what instead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. 
Don't let something of this world, we talked about that Wednesday night, don't let stuff of this world hinder you from what you've been called to do, what God has asked you to do. And another also said, Lord, I'll follow thee, but first, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at my home, at my house. Jesus said to him, no man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. We can't say that, hey, I'm going to go to work. I'm going to grab a hold. I'm going to, I'm going to hitch the team up, and I'm going to put, put them on this plow right here, and then I'm going to look back at all those other things. We've got to press on. There's a lot of ground to break, isn't there, brethren? There's, there's not, I mean, population-wise, there's not as many people here as like where we live. We live in a county with about, I don't know, 47,000 people. A lot of opportunity out there. A lot of population. But I'm telling you right here, I'm sure where you live, it's like everywhere else. There's still a lot of ground to plow. There's still a lot of sow to be, a seed to be sown, isn't there? What are you going to let hinder you? Ball games, are they going to be more important? Vacations, are they going to be more important? Watching TV, is that going to be more important? Playing games, playing on iPads, looking at your phone, is that going to be more important? Are you going to put your hand to the plow or are you going to ride on? You're going to serve him with sincerity and with truth. And fulfill the commandment. We need to have a commitment to worship, brethren. And I'm not going to take all five acts of worship tonight. We, we would be here a long time. That was a big potluck meal. Can't do it. I ain't got the endurance this afternoon. But there's a few things I want to bring out that we need to have a commitment to. One is our singing. You know, I've always thought singing was an odd thing. You know, I'm not a great singer. My wife, she's okay. She's learning. But I always thought, why, why did God take this mode of, uh, of singing? I mean, it's kind of like talking, but you do it a little bit louder, and you, uh, you know, it has, has rhythm and harmony. Why singing? I mean, he could have said, play the gazoo to my glory, and, and that would have been fine. We'd have done what he told us to. Why singing? And then my grandparents were cleaning out the attic last year and, and they come across this songbook that was from like the 1800s. And, you know, Ty, you know, he sings and stuff. So I thought, well, you know, Ty would enjoy the songbook. And, and, and I looked in like the first page, there was a scripture. I'd never seen the scripture before. It was Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. Listen, he will joy over thee with singing. I never had thought about that before. God sings. Why has he called us to sing? Because he sings. Why does he sing? Because he sings when he, when he joys over his people. When there's gladness in the heart of God, God sings. When he sees you and I living the way he's called us to, God sings for the joy of his people. Why do I sing? Why do you sing? Besides the commandment to, I sing for the joy of my God. I sing for the joy of my salvation. I sing for the joy of my Savior. That's why I sing. That's what he's called us to do. God sings. Psalm 95, 1. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us sing to the one who brought salvation. The, the rock, the one that's always going to be there. The everlasting God, the rock. Psalm 96, 1 and 2, oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord, bless his name. Show forth his salvation from day to day. 
I sing for the salvation today and day and day after day. Isaiah 49, 13, Sing, O you heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and bring forth into singing, O mountains, for the Lord hath comforted his people, and will have mercy upon his afflicted. I sing because he's brought me salvation. He's brought me comfort. I sing because the storm I just went through, God got me through another storm. God got me through another procedure. I sing for joy because he comforts me, because he has mercy on me. That's why I sing. And when I sing, I sing with my, my heart full and my, my thoughts overjoyed. It's hard to be mad when you sing it. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. I sing to God and I sing to my brother for my brother's edification so that they be built up. You've been in those services and, and you've just been down and you hear the church rise up in song and it lifts your soul. It lifts your spirits. You realize that you're in this together. We're all singing the same song, aren't we? We don't come in here and sing our own song. We don't have solos here. We're all singing the same song because we're all in this together. Our joy is together in the Lord. He said, James 5 and 13, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. I sing songs of joy because my father sings songs for his joy. That's why I sing. So when we sing, if we're going to do this in spirit and truth, with sincerity and with truth, let us sing with joy unto the Lord, not for the sound, not for the rhythm or the harmony, but let's sing for our God. Be joyful. For our God. Be joyful for our brethren. Be joyful for our Savior today. The other act of worship I'd like to talk back to a minute is the commitment to giving. The commitment to giving. I feel like I'm already talking to a very prosperous and blessed congregation. Some people that, that love the Lord that have been rich in good works because I know what you've done in my life. First Chronicles chapter 29 verse 10 Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted above as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is, uh, it is to, to make great and to give strength to all. Both riches and honor come from you, Lord. He makes the acknowledgement. He makes this great proclamation of praise to the Father. Now, thank, keep that in mind for what he's about to tell. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly for all things come from you and of your own and of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. I want you to notice this, this line right here. Uh, but who am I and what is my people that we should be able to uh, uh, able thus to offer willingly for all things come from you and of your own have we given you. What are you going to give God that's not already his? 
All the things of this earth, they've come from God. A lot of men say, well, I spend 40 hours a week working a job, and, and that's my time. Who gave you time? You have an ability and a talent to go out and make whatever living that you're, that you're doing, whatever your profession is. Who gave you the talent? Who gave you the ability to do all those things? It was all from him. You know, we call it giving a lot of times. We really need to probably call it returning because all I'm really doing is returning something that God already gave me. God is not some charity. God is not this one that's to be pitied, and, and we're just, hey, we're going to do God a favor by pitching in and giving him charity. Brethren, that's not the case at all. I know this congregation is generous, as the other congregation are. If there's a need, that need by far seems like it always is met by the generosity of the brethren. But God's not looking for your generosity. He's not looking for your help or your pity. God is looking for a heart that wants to give back. He wants, he wants a heart of thankfulness. That's what he's looking for. David goes on. You're going to like this. Oh, Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. David said, Lord, we want to build you a house. We want to build you a great place. We want to build you something really nice. But we go and we look for this wood, and, and this wood came from you. And we go and we look at this rock, this stone, the stonework we want to do, and the stone came from you. And he looks around, and what about the gold? What about the gold we want to put on this place? It all came from you. What do we have to give the Lord? I want to build you a house, but all the material to build your house, it comes from you anyway. What have you got to give God that isn't already his? The very breath that we breathe today in this assembly to sing praises to him, he gave the breath. What do you have to give God that, are, that isn't already his? You have nothing to give God that's not already his. But he's looking for a cheerful heart. He's living, looking for one to return those things with thankfulness. I know, my God, that you test the heart. He's testing the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. He's looking for a people that's willing to give back, to return back freely and joyfully to him. That's how we give with sincerity and truth. New Testament doesn't spend a lot of time. Matter of fact, it doesn't spend any time talking about the amount of what to give, does it? But it's all about that heart. I'm going I'm to prove that to you, brethren. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. The point is this. Whosoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whosoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, I'm going to ask you a real ignorant question. Do you believe what the Bible says? Do you believe it's factual? Do you believe it's true, every word? Do you? Okay, good. I'm going to tell you what. Whoever sows sparingly is going to reap sparingly, just the way it is. And those who reap bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. That's just the way it is. And nobody that sows sparingly reaps bountifully. That's just the way it is. We all want, we're all trying to, to do better and better for whatever reason, for our, home, for our families, 
We want our kids to be better off than we are. Don't know why they need to be better off than we were. It seemed like we turned out okay. My kids probably don't know it yet, but they're going to have to work. <laughs> they're going to have to work. There's not going to be free rides because uh, their mom and daddy didn't get any free rides. They're going to have to work. I'm going to tell you, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not boasting in any way, but I'm going to tell you there was a time that, that Amy and I did not give purposefully. And when we started to give purposely, it seemed like we were given more abundantly. I'm going to say, I believe what the Bible says today in faith, that he who sows sparingly shall reap sparingly, but he that sows bountifully shall reap bountifully. I'm going to tell you, I believe that verse is true. And I believe that verse is real. And I believe that verse will play out in your life. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. God has given you the example of how to give because he gives. This is how he gives. He distributed freely. God distributes to you and I freely. He gives, he's given to the poor. He's shown us that we need to have compassion and look on those that, that have needs and try to meet those needs. And his righteousness endures forever. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart. God has decided how much he's going to give in his heart. He's given a whole lot. We'll talk more about that in a minute. God doesn't give reluctantly. God doesn't try to hold back. God doesn't give under compulsion. He doesn't get surprised and, 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 and just try to sp split something out. But God is very mindful about how he gives. And when God gives, he gives with a cheerful heart. He doesn't give just so he could get back in return. Our father is a great father, and the way he gives is how we ought to give. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will, in, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Those that sow bountifully, they will reap bountifully. You will be enriched so you can continue being enriched, so that you continue blessing other people, so that you can continue to give and reap and reap more and more. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but as overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. I don't just give because I have reason to give, because I have service to give. I give because I am thankful. I have come to a cheerful heart that I want to give and say thank you to my God for what he's given to me. I want to show some sacrifice to him because he sacrificed for me and given sacrifice to me. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission. Your submission, you submitting to this cheerful heart 
They will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So when we give, when that offering plate comes around, what, what is our habit? Do we, oh, time to give. Reach into the wallet. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We'll see. We got this. Yeah, it's good enough. Good enough. Or do we have purpose in our giving? Do we, do we know what we're thankful for we become, before we come into a Sunday service and what we're going to give and lay down? Now, again, I'm not preaching about the number. I'm not preaching about the number. You know, you could give a million bucks in the offering plate and God could not be impressed if the right heart's not behind it. It's not about the number. It's about the heart. So do we come in and do we purpose in our heart? Do we know before we come into the service how blessed we've been and how thankful we are and we prepare for that part of worship? Are we committed to the giving? Proverbs eleven twenty four. There is that uh, there is that scattereth and yet increases, and there is that withholdeth more than is meet, but is tended to uh, tendeth to poverty. The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. You know, there's some that scatter, that scatter, that scatter, and they increase. Well, you think that's contrary? I'm I'm giving more away, but I'm getting more. But he says there that here's there there's that withholdeth. More than his meat, but tendeth the poverty. They hold on their stuff and they hoard all their stuff together and think, I'm going to hold on to my stuff, and yet they're impoverished. Imagine that. You know, if a farmer went to sow corn or cotton, let's say cotton, we're in cotton country, more cotton I've seen around here, and he, and he held all his seeds up and he said, I'm going to keep all the, the cotton that I've got. And he never, never distributed that cotton seed. What kind of a crop would he have? He'd have whatever he was holding. But you know that cotton farmer, he can go out and he can distribute that seed and he can be generous and it'll increase for him. It'll increase for him. That's what we do as the church. You can hold on to all your stuff and you can just hold on to what stuff you got or you can sow into the, into the Lord. You can be thankful. You can give back. And if you, the Bible, if you believe what the Bible says today, he that sows abundantly will reap abundantly. Keep sowing, keep getting. I think that's a good deal, don't you? Keep sowing, keep getting. Sow bountifully, reap bountifully. I think it's a great concept. Philippians chapter 4, verse 14, Notwithstanding, ye have done uh, well done that you did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated or shared with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, listen, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound, I am full, I have received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in, Christ, in glory by, by Christ Jesus. These Philippians, they were generous to Paul. They, they sent to him. They communicated to him. And, you know, I think about my brother Sean over here. Sean's an evangelist. He's out trying to go and do the work. 
You know, Sean has to sometimes go and ask for needs. We talked about this yesterday. You know, there's evangelists that have needs. There's a lot of things. I'm not going to steal Sean's thunder. He's going to probably teach more about that. But I'm going to tell you what, it's not because these guys desire a gift. It's, it's not because they want or they're greedy or, or they want their pockets filled. They don't ask, they're not asking for a gift for themselves. What they're asking for is this. They desire fruit that may abound at your account. They want to take the blessings of God and they want to be a helper and the sower in getting those things out and bringing in more fruit. And it's your and my job to help them do that. Praise be to God. You've got, we, have, we have evangelists out there that are out planting and sowing on our behalf. I want to sow to that. I'm not giving to these men because they're greedy men. I'm giving to these men because they want fruit to abound to my account. They want to bless God with what I can give them. And I think we ought to support them. We need commitment in the home. We need commitment in our marriage. You know, you notice strong churches, they're full of strong families. They just go hand in hand. You get a bunch of group full of people and there's all kinds of trouble and there's a bunch of weak homes, they got nothing. They got nothing. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, having not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it be sh- uh, that, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, uh, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of this body, of his flesh, of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. You know, he gives this example here of of the the husband and wife relationship and Christ's relationship with the church. You know how much you and I, we glorify God in our marriage? We glorify God when husbands love their wives. That brings honor and glory to God. Wives, when you submit to your husbands, that gives glory to God. I don't think you can give God a lot of glory in your marriage unless you're doing these things, can you? Marriage was just one of those other testing grounds that we have. For one, we needed it. Wasn't good for man to be alone. He made him a helper. But we show God's love in in how we treat our partner. We show God's love in how we respect our partner and how we make a commitment to our partner. partner. And just like that commitment, it's so close, he says, uh, that a man leave his father and mother cleaving to his wife, they become one flesh. We see how tightly Christ is intertwined with the church. We leave all other things and we cleave to him only. And we commit to him. We need men and women to be committed to their marriage. We need men and women committed to be faithful. And that is a reflection and example 
and a trial for us to show how much we want to be committed to the church, committed to our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we leave all other things behind and we join with him and we become one with him. And we're not going to let anything get in the way of this relationship. And we're not going to have wandering eyes for something else out here in this world, but we're only going to have eyes for him. And we're going to love him. And we're going to respect him. And we're going to live with him forever. We need to have strong marriages. We need to teach our children. You know, everyone here, no matter if they you know, have a history in the church or not history in the church, it doesn't matter. This is a universal fact for all human beings that we all believe something. We all believe something. People that aren't churched believe something. And furthermore, somebody's going to teach somebody something. We're always looking around at surroundings, the things we hear on TV, that we hear people talking. Everybody's being taught something. And I'll tell you what, the devil, he wants to teach your kids. And there's men in this world that, that work for him and serve him, and they want to teach our kids. You don't believe me? Talk to some of these big universities and, and colleges. They want to teach your kids. There was a, 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 a communist socialist, uh, and his name leaves me for the moment. Uh, Vladimir Lenin was his name. And, uh, and he made the statement, he said, just give me four years. Give me the youth of the world four, four years, and I'll sow seeds in them that will root so deeply that they'll never be uprooted. I'm going to tell you what, there's some awful, evil people in this world that want to take our children, that want to pluck them out of our hand, pluck them out of the Lord's hand. The Bible says here, therefore shall you lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul. And bind them for a sign upon your hand, that you may be as front, that they may be as frontlets between your eyes. And ye shall teach your, them your children, speaking of them when thou sittest down in thy house, and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. And thou shalt write them upon the doorpost of thine house and upon thy gates, that your days may be multiplied, and the days of your children in the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers to give them, and the days of heaven upon the earth. He says, put them on your heart. Put them on your soul, bind them on your hand, and also they may be frontlets between your eyes. He wants, you can think of a tattoo with him on it right here. And anything that I put my hands to do, anything that I work on, when I look at my hand, I can see him and I can remember him, think about him. We need him everywhere we go. We need him as frontlets of our eyes. Everything we see and look out on, we need to see and think about him as we do those things. We need him on our heart. We need him on our soul. We need, when, we, when we get up in the morning, we need him. When we lie down, we need him. When we walk by the way, we need him. When we sit in our house, we need him. We need to talk about him. For if you shall diligently keep all those commandments which I command you and to do them, to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to cleave unto him, then will the Lord drive out all these nations from before you, and you shall possess greater nations and mightier than yourselves. Every place wherein your soles of your feet shall tread shall be yours. From the wilderness in Lebanon, from the river, the river Euphrates, even unto the uttermost sea shall your coast be. There shall be no man be able to stand before you, for the Lord your God shall lay the fear upon you and the dread of you uh, upon all the land that you shall tread upon as he hath said to you. This is what happens when we make a commitment to teaching our children. 
when we make this commitment, not just involved, not just taking them to every service that the church has, not letting them listen to three gospel sermons a week. I'm talking about a commitment. I'm talking about the desire to teach our children every day, being committed, not just involved, not just dragging them to a service here. That's what you're supposed to do. They need to be here. I'm not, don't, I'm not discounting the assembly, but I'm saying we need to invest and we need to commit, even if it takes time from other stuff, other activities. We need to spend time teaching our children so that they can conquer, so that they can overcome. And finally, we need a commitment to evangelism. You know, the Bible says in Romans 1.16, I spoke about this this morning, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and to the Greek. I want to talk just a second about what I believe that, that verse is talking about. I'm going to start in, in, the, in the back of the verse and work my way forward. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. We, 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 we talked about that this morning. The gospel's for everybody. All right? Let's just make it real simple terms. The gospel's for everybody. For it is the power of God unto salvation. It has the power to save mankind's soul. It has the power to change your life now, and it has the, po the power to change your life for eternity. But what I really want to spend a second on here is, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. You know, oftentimes, and I'll, I'll admit and confess that when I was younger and I, and I read this verse and, you know, just kind of let it breeze through my mind, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. If someone comes up to me and asks me if, if I believe in Jesus, well, I'd say yes. I wouldn't be ashamed to tell them I'm a Christian. Do you think that's what Paul's attitude was when he wrote this? Well, Paul's saying, well, yeah, if somebody come and ask me if I was a Christian, I'd tell them, yeah. Do you think that's what he meant? Let me tell you a story about when I was a young man. I don't know, about, about yay tall or so. My granddaddy, he was a carpenter, and he had a lot of tools. Let me tell you about being a carpenter's grandson. Papa's tools are important. And you don't mess with Papa's tools because that's the way he makes a living. And, you know, he's like everybody else. He had a house, had a garage, and in that old shed, there was a big pile of hand tools. You know what I'm talking about. You got the shovels and the hose and the rakes and all that, and it's this big pile with a bunch of handles sticking out in it. Anybody else have one of those piles? I'm sure you do. And so one day as a kid, I went in there, got me a shovel. I, was, I don't know why. I went out and dug a hole. Didn't need a hole, but I dug a hole. And in the midst of digging that hole, I broke the handle out of that shovel. All right? So what I do, I go to Papa and say, hey, I broke your shovel. No, you don't do that. I went back in there. I stuck that handle back in with all them other handles, kind of mixed them up a little bit where, you know, you'd have to really dig to find that that, that shovel head uh, was gone off the handle. And what I do in all my brilliance as a youth, I took that shovel head and I put it in the brush pile. Now, me and my Papa, we, we did everything together when I was a kid. Saturday mornings, we'd go out to Burger King, ham, egg, cheese, croissants, hash rounds, you know, all the good stuff. And then we'd go have our activity. We'd go buy feed, whatever we needed at the co-op store. And some Saturdays, we had brush pile burning days. And, man, that was a lot of fun. And we'd take our big brush pile that's been collected for weeks and months and whatnot, and we'd stand out there with a you know, jug of kerosene or whatnot, and he'd have his pitchfork, you know, because it'd burn a little bit, and he'd have to rake some in. And we'd just stand back a little distance, and we'd watch this thing burn. Hey, fun when you're a kid, right? Until one day <laughs> that we burnt the brush pile that had that shovel head in it. 
And I saw what Moses saw when he saw the burning bush. It was on fire, but it was not consumed. And we're standing there, and, and Papa says, what's that? Is that a shovel head? Uh-huh. Okay. And uh, he walks up to it, takes his pitchfork, and throws it back out on the ground. He said, do you know anything about this? I said, yeah, I do. I said, I, Papa, I broke your shovel. And, uh, and, I, and I hit it. That's where I took it. Well, why didn't you tell me? Papa, because I was ashamed. I was ashamed. My point is this. Those things that we're ashamed of, we hide from each other, don't we? And we tried to hide from others. Now, those things we're proud of, we want everybody to know those. You know, generally, I don't go up to people and say, Hey, Brother Bishop, how are you doing, sir? Say, I'm a bad father, terrible husband. I speed. I speed when I got here. I hide from the law. We don't introduce ourselves that way, do we? I don't want to come up to Brother Bishop and say, This is all that's wrong with me. I don't don't want him to know that. So those things I hide. But, hey, you know, a few guys standing around, you know, uh, uh, talking to Matt. And, uh, and Josh earlier, you know, talking about, you know, square bales of hay. Oh, yeah, man. I, back in my day, I used to throw them things up there. I told them that. So I'm proud of that, man. I used to throw them square bales. I was the man that threw them all in the barn loft. I told you, Matt. We didn't know what an elevator I didn't know what an elevator was until I was 18 years old. I was mad as a hornet when I knew there was something that would move that thing up there without throwing it in the loft. What Paul is saying here. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. With everything else that we know about the ministry of Paul, you know what Paul was saying? I will not hide the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to get out there and I'm going to share it with anybody that listen to it and some that don't want to. Do we have that attitude? Do we have this attitude that we've got this precious gift, the gospel, that it has the power to change men's lives today and their eternity and that it's made for everybody? Are we having that attitude that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm going to share it and share it and share it till I can't share it no more. That's what Paul meant when he said it. There wasn't anything that was going to stop him from sharing that gospel. He wasn't ashamed of it. He wasn't going to hide it. His his job and his responsibility was to spread that gospel, and that's just what he was going to do because it was the power of God unto salvation. And the same mantle has been left to you and I. Mark 16, 15, and he said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That means you, 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 you go preach the gospel to all nations, to every creature. Don't you be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Don't you dare hide it. It's not about somebody asking you if you're a Christian. It's about you going out there and being a Christian and spreading the gospel, answering the call of the Great Commission. We need to be committed to evangelism, brother, not just involved. We need to be committed to it. We need to be committed to it on every level. In your life, we need to get ready and try to push out more evangelists to go out and preach the word. We need to be training other people to teach it publicly, privately. We need to be committed to it. Because evangelism saves souls. 
And that's our purpose. It's our purpose because that was Christ's purpose, to seek and save that which is lost. And if we're here for some other reason, we've missed it. We've flat missed it. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, the Bible says, And he said to them, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up my cross daily and follow me. He's not asking to you, for you to be involved. He's asking you to be committed, to take up your cross, to follow him daily, to follow him. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake and, and same shall save it. For what, man is, uh, for what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and his fathers and of the holy angels. He's looking for folks that are committed. Folks that wouldn't deny him, folks that will confess him, folks that will spread the gospel, that will teach others, that will be an influencer for good for those that they come in contact with. Romans chapter 8 verse 31, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? I want to ask you a question, friend. Was God committed to you? Was God committed to salvation? You better believe he was. When it came to sending his son to die for this world, it wasn't just involvement. He wasn't just involved in the process of salvation. He was absolutely 100% committed. Why? Because he sent his son to die. Tell me what's more committed than that. He gave all he could give. He gave all he could give. Because God has shown us this great example of how to give, what's expected, what the expectation is. We have the example of what we have to do too. We, he's not looking for just, he's not looking for a toe in the water. He's looking for somebody to jump in, to be all in. Tonight, are you involved or are you committed? Romans 12 and 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Are you fulfilling these things by your commitment? Joshua chapter 24, verse 15 and 16. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. God forbid that we don't commit to this worthy and holy cause. God forbid that we go off and try to serve somebody else who isn't the Lord God. God forbid. So today, if we haven't already, let's make that commitment. Let's not be the chicken, but let's be the pig. Let's give ourselves over. No turning back. Let's give ourselves over. Let's do it when we sing songs. Let's commit ourselves to singing songs for the joy of the Lord. When we give, let's have a heart of compassion. Let's have a heart of giving that what we give, we're going to get returned in excess. And I believe he does that. Let's be committed in our homes and our marriage. Let's teach our children how to serve and how to love the Lord. Let's be committed to evangelism. Loving those just like we've been loved and showing the world compassion as Jesus showed compassion. Not being ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Let us not hide it.
And I ask you, brethren, today, if you're involved or committed, there's times in my life I've looked back and, you know, I just, I played the part. There's probably better actors in the church than there are in Hollywood. I know I've been a really good actor. I fooled a lot of people. Maybe you've just been involved and you've been playing the part. I pray that tonight you turn over your life and you commit your life. That you go all in. That you lean in to the will of God. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.